Turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. Scripture reading this morning is going to be Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. The, the verses upon which our confession of faith this morning were based. If you are using one of the pew Bibles, you will find these verses beginning on page 980. We are currently in a series of sermons on the marks of discipleship. The mission of the church is to make mature disciples of Jesus Christ through the spirit-empowered ministry of the word and prayer. And if you accept this as the mission of the church, if you understand that this is indeed the mission that, that Jesus Christ himself has given us, then you understand that this means that when we, the members of the church, go forth out into the community, back into the so-called real world, that our mission as individual members of the church is to live as disciples, to walk as becomes the followers of Christ. And so for the past several weeks, we have been considering what it means for us to do just that. What does it mean for us to live as mature disciples of Christ? What are the defining marks of discipleship? And to this point in our study, we have seen that discipleship begins with repentance and faith. That which transfers us from the, from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light is a response of repentance and faith to the gospel of of Jesus Christ. When we repent and believe in, in Him, we become <coughs> disciples. And we have seen that that response of repentance and faith necessarily overflows in worship of the one true God. That repentance, by its definition, is turning to God to acknowledge Him for who He is. And when we acknowledge God for who He is, we cannot but worship Him. And that worship that, that overflowing praise will begin to express itself in our lives in new obedience. New obedience to His Word. A new obedience which is principally marked by self-denial and neighbor love. This is the fulfillment of the law according to the Apostle Paul. When we deny ourselves and love our neighbor well, then we are walking in obedience to our Lord. And so with that framework in mind, last Sunday we began to consider what this self-denying love for neighbor looks like in the various areas of our lives. What does it mean for us to deny ourselves and not love our neighbor well in our families? That was the question before us last week. What does it look like for a husband and wife to deny themselves and, and love one another? What does it look like for parents and children to deny themselves and, and love one another? What does it look like for siblings to deny themselves and love one another? Tonight, I want, or this morning, I want us to continue that, that same study as we consider what it means for friends to deny themselves and love. What does self-denying neighbor love look like among friends? That question in mind, let us pray and ask for God's blessing upon the reading and the preaching of His Word here 
this morning. Father God, we come before you humbly this morning, asking that by your Holy Spirit you would lead us into the truth, that you would open our minds to understand it, that you would open our hearts to receive it, and that you would renew our lives by it. Father, grant us the grace to bring forth the fruit of your word in our lives to the praise of your glorious grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. This is the very word of God. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work, for his good pleasure. That is the reading of God's word. As I said, my, my goal this morning is to show you how to express the self-denying neighbor love in friendship. How does this self-denying neighbor love, which is the mark of a true discipleship, which is the mark of a, of a mature disciple, how does it show itself among friends? However, before we, we get into the details, I think you need to know what I mean when I say the word friend. David Rorsman has told me that in Russia, where he lived and served for 17 years, the word friend is reserved for the, the closest of close relationships. So much so that a person would never expect or really even hope to have more than two or three friends in his entire life. That is not what I have in mind this morning. There is a place for such close Friendships. Such friendships are a blessing from God. And if you have such friendships, you ought to thank God for the kindness that He has shown you in this regard. And if you do not have such friendship, it is right to desire and to seek them. But I want you to understand that what we are talking about this morning is more inclu inclusive than, than that limited group of, of closest of close friends. When 
I use the term friend this morning, I am talking about more than your closest comrades. I am talking about all the people with whom you do life. The people whose story you know and who know your story. Maybe not every detail, but the major plot points. The people with whom you interact on a daily basis, week in and, and week out. The, the people with whom you weep when they weep and with whom you rejoice when they rejoice. And those who do the same for you through life's ups and downs. Those people whom God has providentially woven into the very fabric of your life. I suspect that you have such friends where you work. You, you see those people often. I suspect that you have them where you live, the, the neighbors who live near you and around you. I suspect you have them where you play. But I hope and I pray that you have such friends here at Trinity. At our current size, still relatively small, but not as small as we used to be, you probably aren't friends, even in this more inclusive way with everyone in the sanctuary here this morning. There may even be people sitting in the, the pews this morning whose names you do not know. But I hope there are at least a few, maybe more than a few, whom you count as friends. And if not, if, if you have been here more than a short while and you don't yet have friends, I, I want you to know that that is not the way that it is supposed to be. A congregation of Christ church ought to be a true fellowship. It ought to be a, a communion. It ought to be a place of friendship. We, we ought to share our lives with one another. Even as Paul said to the Thessalonians, he said, I, I share with you not only the gospel, but my very self. It ought to be true for those who are in a congregation of Christ's church to, together. It ought to be a place of friendship. So if that has not been your experience, if you have not experienced Trinity as a, as a place to have and make friends, then I want to address your situation before I talk about what friendship ought to be and what it ought to look like. And, and I want you to hear me say, first of all, that if you have no friends, if you have not experienced Trinity as a place of, of friendship, then I am sorry. That is not our intention, it is not our, our desire, but we understand that it does happen from, from time to time. And, and if you have not experienced friendship here, then it is almost certainly the case that others have failed to reach out to you and, and to invite you into their lives in some way. And that might be for any number of reasons. Maybe some were already too busy with the friends they already had and they, they simply didn't notice. Maybe some were so stressed and, and overwhelmed by the current situation in their own life that they actually needed you to be their friend. They, they were simply too overwhelmed. Maybe some were intimidated by you and didn't think that you would want or need their friendship. I don't pretend to know all the reasons, but I do know that it, it happens. I know that from time to time, for one reason or another, people visit us and they feel unwelcome. If that has been your experience, I am, I am sorry. That is not what we want. And we, we ask you to 
forgive us. But at the same time, I want to challenge you. I want to, to challenge you to take some of the responsibility <coughs> yourself. And I know that's not a very popular thing to say to visitors who we hope will stick around. But I hope that you will hear it as good news. I hope that you will hear it as good news because if the responsibility is at least partially yours, then the Holy Spirit can help you to change. The Holy Spirit can, can help you to do something about it. I say that more than likely the responsibility is at least partially yours because in my experience, the majority of those who, who do not make friends at church, who, who do not enter into true relationships with those with whom they worship, it is because they never put themselves in a position to actually be befriended. They have a desire for friends, but they don't take steps to develop friendships. This is not always true. I understand that there are reasons, but it is often true. A person comes late and leaves quickly and talks to no one. And then they wonder why they have not made friends. It's true, yes, people ought to reach out to you. Yes, people ought to invite you into their lives. And, and we have actually a whole team of people here at Trinity, whether you know it or not, who are actually working on, on welcoming people. And they are doing a, a tremendous job of, of reaching out to new visitors and of, and of inviting them in to, to share our lives. But at the same time, I want to challenge you to take some of the responsibility yourself. If you have, if you have been here a while and you do not yet have friends, then, then I want to ask you to do a few things. First, I want to ask you to plan to be here. I know it sounds simple, but it's sort of necessary. Plan to, to be here for worship every Sunday for a month or, or two. But don't just plan to, to be here. Plan to, to get here early and to mingle with people in the foyer. Plan to, to stick around after the service and introduce yourself to someone. Plan to have at least one conversation with, with someone you don't yet know. It takes time. It takes presence to develop friendships. Plan to, to be here. And over the course of that month or two, while you are worshiping with us, I would encourage you also to, to plan to visit one of our small groups. Maybe plan to visit each of them at least once over the, the course of a couple of months. Now, by all means, if you find one that clicks, if you find one that you like, stick with it. But, but, but plan to go to the small groups. Plan to, to show up and to engage in conversation. Get to know people. It is in this way that you will begin to develop friendships. Third, plan to attend Sunday school or, or Wednesday night or even better, plan to come to both. Plan to, to be here as the people of God gather to build one another up towards maturity in Christ. Church growth experts tell us that people aren't going to show up for more than worship plus one. And I understand what they mean. People are, people are busy. But let me tell you, that's absurd. You make time for what you intend to do. You make time for what you prioritize. Show up. Be present with God's people. You don't have to do everything that we do. I wouldn't even recommend trying. But show up. Be present. Share your life with people so that you can begin to develop these friendships. And even as the Welcome Integration Committee is trying to do, plan 
at least once a month to, to have a meal with someone, to, to, to sit down over bread and to, to fellowship together. You can do that out at a restaurant. You can do it in your home. But, but eat with people. Get to know people. Begin to share your life with those with whom you worship. Because I believe that if you accept even one or two of these challenges, you will soon begin to develop true friendships. And for those of you who do have friendships, my challenge to you is to make it as easy as possible on those who are new. I, I understand that, that we are limited, we are finite, that we have only so much capacity, but I challenge you to, to reach out to those who are new, to introduce yourself, to invite them into the fellowship, to, to try to join them into the communion. Reach out in love to those who are strangers, that they might become friends. Because the church is to be a place Friendship. It is to be a place where we share our lives with one another. But of course, saying this raises a question. If a church is to be a place of, of friendship, and if the responsibility for making friends rely, relies on, on both sides, if, if, if those who need friends and those who, who are there to be friends, if, if both must reach out to the other, for what purpose are you seeking to develop those relationships? What is this friendship? that we are talking about. That's the question I really want us to, to wrestle with this morning. I think we see the basic paradigm for friendship here in Philippians chapter 2. Notice what Paul says. He's basically saying to the Philippians, complete my joy. Give me the satisfaction of a pastor to see you sharing with others what Christ has shared with you. It's what he says. He says, share with others whatever it is you have received from Christ. If you have received encouragement from Christ, then, then share that encouragement with others. If you have received comfort from Christ, then, then share that comfort. If you have received communion or participation or, or fellowship, if you've, if you've received relationship, then share that relationship with others. If affection and sympathy, then, then share that affection and sympathy. Share what you have received with others. This is what will complete Paul's joy. This is what he desires to see as a pastor to these people. He, he longs to see them growing in friendship and in, and in relationship with one another. In short, he, he longs to see them relating to one another with the mind of Christ. Notice what he says about Jesus. He says, Jesus did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. Jesus is the eternal Son of God. He has been with the Father since before time began. He is the second person of the Trinity. He is eternal God with the Father and the Spirit. And yet, the eternal Son did not consider his position a thing to be grasped. He did not consider it a thing to be used for his own advantage, but rather he was willing to humble himself and to take on human flesh, to, to become a servant, obedient even to the point of death on a cross for the sake of his friends, for the sake of those whom he loved. Therefore, Paul says, we ought to be willing to do likewise. We ought to have the same mind. We, we ought not to 
be motivated by selfish ambition. We ought not to grasp at whatever privileges or position we deem ourselves to have. We ought not to be moved by rivalry or, or selfish ambition, but in humility. We ought to count others as more significant than ourselves. We ought to, to seek their interests even before our own. This is how Paul intends the members of the church at Philippi to relate to one another. This is how he intends the, the saints to be in fellowship with one another. As those who emulate the mind of Christ. As those who consider others more significant than themselves. As those who seek the interest of their neighbor even before their own. This is the tenor. This is the, the characteristic of the friendship that is to exist in the church. What does it mean? What does it mean to, to seek the interests of others even before our... What interests does Paul have in mind? I would suggest to you the fact that he, he doesn't specify means that he's probably using the term pretty broadly. He is, he is using the term as, as broadly as possible. Interests, whatever they be, whatever interests your neighbor might have, make those interests your own. And as you search the scriptures, you begin to see that there are actually many interests that are specifically mentioned. Many interests that we are to, to put on our list as we see our, our neighbors in need. There are physical interests. We are to be concerned for the, the physical or the material interests of our neighbors. For example, we, we see this in Acts chapter 2. It is one of the first demonstrations of the work of the Spirit amongst the new believers. Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 are, are saved. And instantly we have a church in Jerusalem. And we're told that church was meeting together regularly. That they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. And that they were caring for one another's physical needs. So much so that, that Luke can say in Acts chapter 4 that there was not a needy person among them. <coughs> When there was a need, others used the resources at their disposal to respond to that need. And that is exactly as it should be. For us brothers and sisters in Christ, as friends, we ought to be concerned for our fellow brothers' physical interests. James, in describing the faith that receives Jesus Christ as, as Lord, he says that, that such faith cannot possibly see a brother in need and, and respond with disregard. Such faith is not saving faith. John says the same thing in 1 John chapter 3. He says, if you see your brother in need and you have resources at your disposal, you must respond. You must clothe the one who is naked. You must feed the one who is hungry. You must provide for the physical needs of your so one of the first things I want you to hear this morning is that our friendships with one another ought to be marked by a concern for our physical needs, for the physical needs of our friends. It's one of the reasons that we took up a special offering this morning for those who were affected by the hurricane. They are our distant friends, our, our distant brothers and sisters in, in Christ, that we want to come to their aid, and we want to, to help them. But, but of course, we also respond to needs within the congregation. 
Daniel made an announcement this morning about a, a particular need where we're trying to, to raise money to, to, to meet a physical need. And, and you should know, without going into the details, that our deacons have spent tens of thousands of dollars this year responding to needs of people in our own congregation. And that is good. That is as it should be. It ought to be our ambition to be able to say, not a needy person among us had their needs go unmet. Yes, we need to balance this with wisdom, and I think our deacons do a, a tremendous job of this. But our goal is to be generous. Our goal is to respond to needs as they, as they come. But it's not just physical needs. In our day and age, living where we do, Physical needs are, are real, but they're often dwarfed by the reality of our emotional needs. Many a, many a professor has noticed that while we have grown in, in wealth, we have also grown in isolation. There's a famous book called Bowling Alone. As we, as we notice that, that we have resources, we have our physical needs met, but we do not have relationship. And so I would suggest to you that the second sort of interest that we are to see, that we are to respond to, are, are our emotional needs. In fact, I think we see this explicitly in Philippians chapter 2. Paul mentions things such as encouragement, such as comfort, such as love and fellowship and, and sympathy. He says these are the things that we are to share with one another. We are to respond to one another's Emotional needs. As, as Paul says in Romans chapter 12, we are to weep with those who, who weep and we are to rejoice with those who rejoice. Notice we're not supposed to solve their problems right away necessarily, but just simply to enter in, to, to listen, to, to feel with them. When they are weeping, to come alongside them and to, to acknowledge the reality of their pain and to, to weep with them. When they are rejoicing, to allow them to express that joy without feeling jealousy or bitterness. But simply to rejoice with them in the joy that they are experiencing. We are to respond to one another's emotional needs. These are real we are, we are to care for one another in this way. But of course, above all, we are to respond to one another's spiritual needs. As true friends, we are to be concerned and we are to look out for the spiritual interests of our friends. And again, this is suggested by any number of passages beginning here with Philippians chapter 2. Again, think of what Paul says. He, he says that Jesus was looking out for our interest when he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. That's the, the example that he's given us to emulate. Jesus gave his life for our interest. But what interest does he have in mind? He doesn't mention it explicitly here in these verses, but there are countless other passages that make it clear what Jesus was up to, what Jesus was, was doing. Galatians tells us that he gave himself for our sins in order to deliver us from this present evil age. That he became a curse for us to deliver us from the curse and to reconcile us to God. In Romans we read that he was delivered up for our trespasses and raised again for our justification that we might know peace with God. 
He who knew no sin became sin for us on the cross that we might become the righteousness of God. He showed his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, that we might know salvation and that we might be reconciled to God. This is what Jesus was, was doing. He was looking out for our spiritual interests. Obviously, we cannot purchase redemption with our blood as Christ did, but we can give ourselves away for the spiritual interests of our friend. As the author of Hebrews says, we can, can spur one another on to love and good works. We can encourage one another to stand firm in the faith against the attacks of the devil. We can comfort one another with the promises of God. We can correct one another when we are in error. And we can go after those who are straying, even as Paul commands us to do. We can promote the spiritual welfare of our friends. In fact, I would say that this ought to be one of the most prominent characteristics of our friendship. This, this genuine concern for the spiritual good of our neighbors. I, I understand that it can sometimes feel awkward, but we, we must learn to, to inquire after one another. Not just how are you doing physically, not even just how are you doing emotionally, though that would be a huge step forward for most of our conversations. But how are you doing spiritually? Are you presently experiencing the comfort of God's Promises? Do you, you currently know the joy of His presence? Or are you struggling with, with doubt? Are you struggling with, with fear? Does God seem far? Or do you know His imminent presence? We must inquire after one of the spiritual health, and we, we must take an interest in, in promoting the, our growth towards health. But of course, we find this. Difficult. We find this challenging. It doesn't come naturally to have such conversations. It's, it's so much easier to, to keep things at a, at a surfacey level. And that is because the defining mark of our selfishness, the, the defining mark of, of, of that sinful nature that we inherited from our Father is self-concern, self-absorption, self-promotion, self protection. As the reformers used to say, sin has curved us in on ourselves so that we can see almost nothing else. As sinners, we, we tend to think of our friendships more in terms of what we get than of what we can give. So how can we be set free from the, the shackles of selfishness? How can we begin to, to be true friends? Well, again, notice what Paul says. He says, because Jesus has been our friend, because Jesus has loved us this way, we are now free to be the friends of others. Look again at Philippians 2, verse 5. Notice what Paul says. He says, have this mind 
among yourselves. He, he is encouraging us to, to imitate Christ. In some sense, he is asking that now very famous question, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? Be a friend like Jesus. But he doesn't stop there. Because if he stopped there, he would merely be giving us a law that we could not bear. But rather, he says, have this mind amongst yourselves. And then he tells us, which is yours in Christ Jesus? Paul doesn't merely point to Jesus as an example to emulate, but he points to him for, first and foremost as a Savior. He says, this mind can be yours in Christ. For Christ was your friend. He gave himself for you, and in giving himself for you, he has rescued you from the entanglements of sin. He has rescued you from death. He has brought you into life. In Him, you are new creation. He is now alive in you. And because He has made you alive through His own death, you are now free to be a Savior. He's not only I mean, you are now free to be a friend. He is not only your example, but He is your Savior. Look again at verses 12 through 13. We often stop reading it at verse 11 because it's such a, a climactic ending with, with Jesus exalted to the Father's right hand, crowned with glory and a name above all names. But notice what Paul says. Therefore, because Jesus now reigns, because He died and, and rose again, because He now sits at the Father's right hand, therefore... Because Christ is who He is for you, you now work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Not work for your salvation. It's already been bought and paid for. It is secured in Christ. But, but work it out. Put it into practice. Begin living as one who is saved. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But notice, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do His good pleasure. We are called to be friends. But by nature, we are selfish. But we have a friend who has come to our rescue, a friend who has given up his own life to rescue us, that we might be set free to be the friends that we were called to be. We have a friend in Jesus. And because He is our friend, we are now free to be friends to those whom He has providentially woven into the fabric of our lives. And so therefore, in humble reliance upon His empowering grace, let us resolve to be friends. Let us resolve to, to put the interests of others even before our own. Let us resolve in humble reliance upon His grace to work out our salvation in fear and trembling by denying ourselves and loving the neighbors with whom we worship week by week, month by month, year by year. Because it is as we do so that we will enter into the full joys of the salvation that He has secured for us, not with silver and gold, but with His own precious and because such a calling is ours in Christ, that's why we call this good news. Do you believe that? Amen. Let us believe it together.
Father God, we rejoice in your kindness to us. We thank you for the call to be friends. Far too often, Father, we, we, we focus on the need for others to friend us. I pray that you would open our eyes to the need to be friends to others. And I pray through your grace that you would begin to develop the kind of relationships that Paul longed to see in Philippi, the kind of relationships that bring glory to your name and joy to your people. Father, may we become more and more a church marked by friendship because we have a friend in Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.